there. I'm Baruven. I'm the co-founder of the CAT 669 Alumni Association and the Executive Vice President of Development for the American Friends of Unit 669, aka AFU 669. In addition to my unit work, I'm an entrepreneur. I sold my first startup called Mishlachov a few years ago, and I'm now the co-founder and CEO of Dishare. And I'm Dr. Jonathan Pfeffer. I'm an innovation and mentoring expert. I help U.S. and Israeli startups and multinationals design and implement their innovation strategy. I'm a mentor and judge at Harvard's Innovation Lab and a mentoring supervisor at the CAT 669 Alumni Association, among others. Lastly, I also teach innovation management at Reichman University. Our guest today served as a combat rescue soldier at the unit. He's an investigative documentary filmmaker and producer with a long and illustrious career in Israel TV and print media, and the author of two best-selling books, Tzaelim and Catching a Murder. He is one of just five journalists that were chosen from all around the world to participate in a special program in Stanford University and just published and exposed the full story of the Israeli spy Jonathan Pollard. When he's not doing all of that, as if that's not enough, he's also uh, a father of four boys. Omri Asenheim, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. So anything else on your uh, personal life uh, before we dive into other details? Well, um, I just love soccer, um, <laughs> but my, my team here in Israel sucks. It's Maccabi Netanya, um, and I love swimming, and, you know, most of the time I work, either work or spend time with my, m- with my four boys, so not much uh, time for leisure, but I'm trying my best. Well, actually, four boys so- sounds like work a lot. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. You either work is, there or you work is. at home. You bet, you bet. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, okay. Um, I want to start from the connection to the unit. Um, if you had any unique story uh, from your service or something that you remember um, that affected you. Um, or stayed with you over stayed the with you. So you mentioned Stanford University before. So I, 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 was, um, I was a, a fellow at the JSK and jo- John S. Knight Journalism uh, uh, Fellowship. And this is a year that changed my life. And when I look back at my life, Another uh, time, which other times, which actually changed my life was the service at 669. Because I, you know, uh, throughout my uh, youth, I was a um, um, student at Bonn American High School. We lived in Bonn, Germany with my parents. Yeah. And uh, my father was on, on a mission there. He worked in the agricultural ministry here in Israel. And he was sent there with our family. And... When I came back, I was uh, a spoiled young boy uh, <laughs> that grew up in Germany. And then I joined 669 um, after serving here a year um, in a kibbutz. So joining the, the unit was something uh, very special for me because I belonged to a, 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 an amazing group of people, the Tsevet, the crew, the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, for the first one year and a half, we just trained and we prepared ourselves for what we're going to do in the next one year and a half or, or more. And then came the, the, the years uh, in which we rescued and evacuated people throughout the uh, Lebanon War. It was the uh, not the second Lebanon War, mm-hmm. which was uh, yeah. in... Not the sequel, but the original. Exactly. The 18 years war, and we served the last years, which were pretty much horrible in Lebanon and we we flew there uh, many times rescuing and evacuating many many soldiers our age and yeah. each and every uh, incident there stayed with me because you can't you cannot forget the the um, the images the sights the smells the sounds it stays with you 
I'm not post-traumatic, but I can recall each and every second of those, wow. of those moments there. Mm. But when I look back at it, those were great times. It seems like a dissonance mm-hmm. how, uh, you know, rescuing, um, you know, injured soldiers, some, some, sometimes dead, dead people, and how could these times be great? But I think the the experience being with those kind of people, serving with this with these people that that you know, th- they know that they're doing something important for their country, for themselves, for their fellow soldiers. Yeah. So this was this was amazing. And I, I want to ask about a specific uh, incident. I remember, if I'm not wrong, it was 2012 or 11 when the, um, the story of the Saluki was in the in Yomazikaron, correct? Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit about your experience uh, in this specific incident? Every, um, each one of my, uh, of my fellow uh, um, members, crew members in 669s, we had this one incident which we will never forget. And mm-hmm. mine was in uh, August 28th, 1997, when Oren, um, my fellow uh, team member, and I were sent to uh, South Lebanon in, in order to rescue uh, Golani soldiers who were trapped in the flames there. There was a big fire there um, in the Saluki. It's, it's a wadi mm-hmm. over there. And... Um, The, you know we didn't know what we're going to see we, we didn't know what the sites are going to be we flew from uh, Ramadavid Air Base which we, which is in the north for about half an hour till we got to this uh, to the Lebanese border we could see from around Kiryachmona which is yeah. one of the northern cities in Israel we could see the smoke and I think this incident caught us uh, you know the strongest way because you couldn't forget uh, I mean all All, all of your senses were on mm. and, uh, and, and and it operated it handled operated all, all your senses the sights the smells the sounds and uh, we actually uh, uh, could see five people there we rescued five people two of them were dead already and one of them we could talk to him yeah. before before he died I mean he died he died mm. of his wounds like five five days later and I could speak to him I could uh, he I said how are you I said how are, how are, how are my friends doing that's what that's what he said and we left in in, in we left him in the Ziv hospital in Sifat and five days later I read in the newspaper that he was uh, an Olehadash an immigrant from Ethiopia he bar- his parents barely spoke Hebrew they sat yeah. five days before Um, by his bed didn't understand why he was the only mm. uh, injured guy who was who didn't survive and as you as you mentioned 14 years later I decided I would make a documentary film out of this I would go back to the people who we saved alive and to the families of the guys of the soldiers we we uh, unfortunately couldn't save um, and they knew that this kind of job would be a Uh, unlike any other uh, other uh, of my uh, you know uh, journalistic work because we as 669 soldiers we didn't want to to really meet the yeah. people we rescued we left them in the hospital you know mm-hmm. the bar we left them in the hospital we gave them the the their very very best treatment from the field to the hospital but when we left them we didn't want to really meet them 
and know who they are. We didn't. Yeah. I, I think we didn't want to carry their weight mm -hmm. to the rest of the uh, uh, military missions or even to the rest of our lives. And coming back, meeting those people 14 years later would sound like, you know, uh, uh, science fiction to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the other thing, I knew that uh, unlike any other of my journalistic work, I wouldn't be able to look at this story from the outside. I would have to tell it from the inside. Mm -hmm. yeah. I would have to really experience this journey throughout the uh, preparation of this, of this report, this documentary film. And the hardest, I think, moment was when we got to Natashka Sahun. She's the mother of Shumato Kasaun, who was, who was the, the soldier that, that I spoke to before, five days before he died of his wounds. And we, for the first time, explained to her actually what yeah. happened to him. This was the first time. Wow. Imagine to yourself, 14 Crazy. years yeah. after the incident, she hears for the first time what, what really happened. So this was very hard. And, uh, you know, we were torn apart. Uh, one, yeah. Each one of the uh, filming crew that were there uh, at Natasha's house and the the day after, I got a message, text message from Danny Lomas, who was a sound man uh, this day, and he he said to me, "There are stories that is not enough to to uh, tell them. There are tell their end. There are stories uh, which we must write their end ourselves." Mm -hmm. And he actually uh, managed to to get a donation of. Uh, Two hundred thousand dollars in order to uh, write a, a Torah book mm -hmm. about uh, Shomato, because Shomato was the only soldiers that uh, you know he wasn't. Uh, I don't know how to say it in English. Commemorated, uh, yeah, commemorated, yeah, exactly. So, so uh, this was actually the end of the documentary film. Uh, getting this Torah book hmm. inside yeah. the synagogue, which was very, you know, it was amazing. You know, you mentioned um, that there are sad or um, emotionally heavy burdens to carry from your service but there are also positive things like the sense of purpose that you that you mm -hmm. mentioned uh, yeah. before and the camaraderie um, do you think looking back now that you can trace some of the values maybe or principles that uh, kind of uh, went with you from your service through your uh, career in media or maybe even your personal life yeah um, for sure I, w I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is friendship. There is a, a really, you know, the bonding between the uh, crew member. It is hard for me to explain in this podcast how strong it is, yeah. how uh, long-lasting it is. Uh, you know, me and my uh, crew members, we are, we are um, friends up to this date. We, we um, meet very frequently there are things that we understand uh, each mm -hmm. other in, uh, you know, that nobody else would understand uh, in other situations. I mean, we, we really know each other very well mm -hmm. in, in those very difficult situations which yeah. we experience together side mm -hmm. by side. So this is a friendship that no one could ever mm -hmm. uh, um, explain, yeah. understand and explain. So friendship is... is uh, for sure, value, um, uh, principle. One more thing is is dealing with pressure, which helps me hmm. a lot with my current job. I mean, hmm. when um, you answered the next que the next question we wanted to ask, so, uh. <laughs> yeah. you know, when you when you remember what you dealt with in the in the training and mm -hmm. in the uh, operations themselves, you, you understand which kind of pressure you're under, and you think about what pressure you're under now is hmm. say well this is not that bad i mean hmm. i look what i dealt with 
25 years. Your sense of perspective. Uh, exactly. So, so dealing with pressure is, is another principle. Um, and I think serving, being a servant, mm. you know, um, I'm now a servant of the public, I think, in my journalistic job. And then back then I was a servant yeah. of the Israeli public in another way. So serving, the sense of serving and doing things for your country, you know, journalism yeah. is one mm -hmm. thing and serving in 669 is another thing. But serving is, is, a, is a great principle that I took from, from my army years. Mm, amazing. And, you know, and, and after the army, you went into this job where you have to expose um, not just hidden things, but <laughs> things that are hidden on purpose, right? Things that, you know, either scandals or murders or lies that are covered up. And there is probably, you know, not just one person who's covering it up, but, you know, a whole <laughs> system that does that. What drives you to do this crazy thing, which <laughs> is to say, okay, I'm going to look at the, uh, the system that is trying to um, make us not see something something negative usually and I'm going to break the silence I could tell you many things about it but I think if you look for one one thing that drives me is curiosity hmm. uh, you can you cannot do my job without being curious and I think I think it's genetic I think I got it from my mother <laughs> she was very curious uh, she liked gossip a lot <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you just made a career out of gossip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I actually, I'm actually very interested in the people I meet, in the stories I look for. It's mm. just not. It's not a job. It's it's a it's a hobby. Yeah. You ask me what what are my hobbies? Uh -huh. My hobbies is to to lift those stones, stone after stone, and discovering the lies and and the secrets <laughs> be, behind them, under them. Uh, and so curiosity is for sure the one thing that drives me all the time. And I think a sense of justice too, mm. uh, to 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 achieve justice, to see justice. To mm. um, so those are the two things that drive me. How do you choose what to to investigate? I mean, do you have a list of things, and only when you have time and budget, or or you feel more connected to some subject to another? How do you do it? So, uh, going going through my curiosity, I have to maximize two two things how important the story is and how interesting the story is. Mm. Those are the two things that have to be maximized. Mm. There are stories that are only interesting. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know, uh, I don't have any well, good example. I think example. most of, in my <laughs> mind, a lot of the media today is, you know, just stuff that's supposed to clickbait, right? So it's yeah, supposed to be interesting. interesting. I don't know if there's any substance uh, to it. And there are things that are only important. And right. so I won't do things <laughs> that are only important. But uh, I will try to maximize those two things. And, uh, for example, you mentioned the book I wrote, the sec my second book, Catching a Murder, in which our story uh, led to the conviction of a guy who murdered his two wives. So this was a very interesting story because yeah. it contained all the human weaknesses mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if yeah. I could say that um, and it was also very important because it solved a mystery solved it solved uh, uh, an unsolved murder murder cases so this is this is a, an example of how how you maximize importance and how interesting the story is I want to ask you something about the I guess not just technical but also personal um, part of your of your of your work because i you know i i uh i train the uh mentors and the mentees in the 669 alumni association and other places and and one of the things i talk to them about and it's the hardest to train on and i think 
it also applies to um, documentary, you, an investigative uh, journey, uh, journalism, and you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but is managing these two polarities, which is one is being in the moment, in the story, but also keeping a little bit of, of detachment and a step away to be able to give a unique perspective on it. And the other is telling someone else's story but also using your words, hmm. right? So how do you, for mentors, it's something that is, if you, can, if you can crack that, you become a superstar mentor, right? How do you do it as an investigative journey? You're, you're in the story. You're supposed to also look at it from the outside. You're supposed to tell it through people's eyes, but also through your own. Uh, it's a good question. I think there is not one method uh, or one way in which I can describe it, but I would say that the... the um, best thing the best way to think about it is looking at a story which could be very complicated which could contain many many details and try to simplize it as if you were to tell it to a, a five years uh, right. kid right. Mm -hmm. or not a kid your friend or your father who doesn't know anything okay. about the story you have to simply you know sometimes I, I, I I'm dealing with very complicated stories with many details like the like the polar affair I mm -hmm. just uh, finished uh, as you mentioned uh, a four episode uh, documentary series uh, about the uh, um, Jonathan Paul affair and this story is really it's very complicated because it contains you know the uh, the, the things that happened in the US and the mm -hmm. things that happened here in Israel and his childhood and what happened in the intelligence community here and there and how do you how how you tell the story what do you start with so i for example when i want to tell the story to a friend i i decided after thinking about it that i want to tell pollard's childhood at the beginning i mm -hmm. want you to uh, identify with his ideas, with, mm -hmm. the, with his way of, uh, of operating, um, what drove him, what were his motives. In order for, for, for you to understand the big story, you have to start at the beginning. You have mm -hmm. to build you know, the, uh, the, um, the base mm -hmm. to the story in order to, to, to build you know, the, the floors. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's how I do it. I think before what, how, do, how, how I want to tell the story the best way, how, how I would tell it to a five years uh mm -hmm. five, uh, yeah, five uh, year old guild yeah. and then i do it interesting amazing um i want to ask you about uh, the book you wrote and the lecture i heard uh, uh, already once uh, but for our listeners about the murder uh catching, a murder, catching yeah. a murder about this specific story and if i'm not wrong it's kind of parallel to the um, the TV series that maybe our listeners know more than our story, but the Jinx. The Jinx, right? yeah. <laughs> it's, more, it's more interesting. It's more interesting. <laughs> so, so tell us so how it's... Netflix executives, if you're yeah. hearing, <laughs> there's a more interesting story here. Yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. If you so, about uh, you know, all the good stories start with with uh, you know uh, a moment which you didn't expect uh, didn't expect would come. I just went to pick my uh, my eldest uh, son out of the kindergarten one day and a woman there which was one mother uh, of the of the kids there approached me at the gate of the kindergarten she said uh, listen are you working for Uvdav that's fact is the tv show in which I work for and I said yes and I said oh my god she's now going to tell me this boring story I don't want to stay here I want to go home I want to take my kid and get out of here but I listened anyway I listened anyway uh, so she said uh, well I have a story for you <laughs> uh, one of my friends here at the kibbutz kibbutz Ayal she died under mysterious circumstances 
two months ago, and we discovered that her husband had another wife who died under mysterious circumstances 15 years ago. And I said, wow, this is an amazing story. What, what, what did the police do? Did the police investigate it? She said the police... Uh, the police investigated and closed it for lack of guilt, which is like, you know, mm. this is like the, the signature for the, this is no story. And I said, what can I do with the story? I'm only a, I'm only a journalist at Uvda. So she said, uh, look what you can do. And actually, for the first months, I didn't do anything because I was, pre I was occupied with another uh, project that I worked on. But after I finished it, I looked at my computer. This, this refers to your previous question. I looked at my computer to see what are the next, yeah. what, what is the mm -hmm. next project that they have to, to pick up, to choose. And the stories were just horrible these days. <laughs> it was a boring day. This was a black day for, you know, for a journalist. But this, I just, you know, ran into this little tip that was yeah. written there that I wrote when the woman told me in the in the kindergarten gate and I said well this this is the main story let's let's the, the next days are going to be boring anyway let's <laughs> let's give it a chance let's give it like seven ten days yeah. see what happens and uh the seven eight days became like a seven year like detective journey wow. after this guy after which he was uh, at the end the very end after uh, you know many many obstacles on the way he was he was uh, you know convicted with two murders and was sent to two life uh, terms wow. in, pri in prison. And all based on your work only. Yeah. Wow. Of course, the police took it and, and started an investigation, but it was based... Uh, when I started, the case was closed for lack of guilt. Wow. wow. You know, this is a kind of a, um, an amazing story in the sense that, as you, as you said, you're, you're giving service, you have an impact, it's important. You actually helped write the end, right? So it has all the elements mm. of, what the, of, what you, of what you said. And it also started, like, in the movies, like, with just something happenstance something that just happened out of you know thin air um i want to go back to the story about pollard because i'm curious when you you know when that mother in the kindergarten approached you it's a new story no one wrote about it there's nothing maybe there's nothing to it but if there is no one wrote about it anything pollard has been written on and there have been mm -hmm. shows about it and, and like it seemingly it's something we all know, the ins and outs of it, for several years. So what compelled you to say, I'm going to describe it differently? Or Those are the best stories. The stories <laughs> that you think you know everything about. They're like, uh, they're like almost forgotten because, you know, you think you know everything about it. But this is the best time for me to dig in. Because I, I knew reading about uh, this this affair that actually nothing was told about it almost nothing mm -hmm. in order to understand the Pollard affair you have to dig in from the beginning from the really roots of this yeah. of this of this you know of this character mm -hmm. and then into the affair and I think you know it's four episodes 52 uh, four episodes 52 minutes each and I think I could have Five more episodes, 52 <laughs> minutes, because even more. This is a, more than a book because this story has so many things to tell about us, yeah. about how we, we you know, what we think about ourselves, what we think about the United States, what we think, you know, uh, what motivates people, what drives people, what, what are the egos mm. that are involved and what does these egos lead at the end to. Mm. So uh, this story, it's not only the Pollard story. It's not this guy who lives in Jerusalem at mm -hmm. one time, 35 years ago, despite for Israel. This is a story that tells about yeah. society and about people. You have a long and very, uh, you know, renowned career in your, in your profession. Mm -hmm. 
what's the is there kind of a um, encapsulating moment or a peak moment or a moment where all of your aspirations and your um, satisfaction ca- came alive from a story so there are a few uh, we talked about catching a matter which was like it was like changing reality it was like um, changing the the path of ways I mean this guy was a free a free man in the kibbutz and he's now you know behind bars so and we I had a story about the lobbyism industry in the Knesset in the Israeli Parliament they had the story about Selim it was the um, mm-hmm. the um, plot of the um, Sayyid Matkal the elite unit to assassinate Saddam Hussein in 1992 which ended in a in a very bad uh, uh, training, training accident, accident yeah. Yeah, in which five soldiers were killed and six were wounded and and this was also an affair you thought you knew everything about and I came 20 years after and, and exposed mm-hmm. everything in a book in my first book so and the Saluki you mentioned before mm-hmm. this this personal documentary film now now Pollard of course so there are many many uh, uh, things that that you know v- There are many downhills, but there are a few uh, uphills and a few peaks that I, I can mention and I can remember and can, I can be proud of. But, you know, this, when I, when I um, for example, we just, we just screened uh, uh, Pollard in front of like two, three hundred people. Uh, and I thought when going on stage and, you know, um, when I saw all the crowd and I saw, you know, I got all these things, you know, this is amazing and this is great. And I thought of all the... All the bad moments, all the hard <laughs> moments, it's like finishing the maslul, finishing mm, yeah. the training in the six six nine everything is worth, say, it. yeah, you said, wow, now i have now I'm a combat soldier now i you know, but you see when you look looking back you you remember all those one year and a half yeah. in which you trained and you had to you know run in the rain and and <laughs> you know, do all those crazy things and you, and you said, well, there were hard moments in order to reach this amazing amazing place, but you know what. Finishing the uh, training um, course, Maslul, uh, for 669, you don't earn any enemies doing that. And I have a sense, maybe it's the wrong sense, that doing your job, you know, you're probably on many hit lists, <laughs> either verb- literally or figuratively speaking, right? Uh, yeah, but you know, um, I never felt any physical threat on me, but I always felt... fear of not telling the truth of making a mistake in making mm. a mistake in my in my documentaries in my investigative so this is the big threat mm. of not telling the truth of making a mistake of ruining someone's life unpurposely so uh, this thing you know you go through your career and you always there are all these nights that you can't fall asleep because you think yeah. maybe maybe I published some something wrong so there are people that don't like me there are people that I, I ended their career but <laughs> as long as long as they told the truth and as long as I think the truth served the Israeli society as a whole you know mm-hmm. this is big this is a big phrase but sting still if it served the Israeli society as a whole then I sleep better at night. Uh, that's that's very interesting because today's uh, in today's atmosphere and then I guess cultural times we talk about postmodernism and truth being subjective and relative and even in media we of see it, right alternative facts right of course you're speaking from a different perspective you're talking about the truth as kind of a something that you can know and it, or at least it sounds like it and that you can assess your performance to it uh, in relation to it so how do you know if you're if you're saying the truth in in a documentary I check. 
a lot. I fact check a lot. So I mean, I mean, I'm doing most of my job is collecting the half of my, half of my job is collecting the the information, and half of the job is checking it. Uh, and now uh, you know you see all the the um, you know facebook and and, and mm-hmm. Instagram and Twitter, and I see yeah. people who write they just write what they think <laughs> as facts we just talked about it the episode before yeah um, and so. and you don't you, you have no clue if this is right, this is wrong was it checked was it under a, a specific uh, you know uh, standards mm-hmm. journalistic standards or human standards or ethical standards mm-hmm. you don't know. But uh, if we want to defer ourselves as journalists from just regular people, ordinary people who write at Facebook, yeah. we, have to, um, we have to work under center, certain standards um, and you know, get the credibility. And sometimes we are wrong. We are only we are human beings. We are wrong sometimes. And we have to um, know how to say sorry and know how to uh, admit it, uh, that we did mistakes. And this is what differs us from from uh, everyone else. You know, everyone has his own truth now. <laughs> truth is subjective. But I'm wearing this black shirt now, right? And we're sitting in a uh, uh, around a, a, a um, rectangular table. Yeah, rec- rectangular <laughs> table. So this is this is truth, and there is a glass on the on, on the table. So this is truth. You can't say uh, we're not sitting here. <sighs> so. That this this is the way you have to this is the world the new world you have to play in as a journalist it's not an easy world but it, it gives you uh, you know there are uh, challenges in which you can win if you bring uh, true stuff in which which was checked over and over again and work under standards you'll be okay okay Definitely. our last question okay drum roll so um, usually we like to end our episode with a little bit of uh, time travel So if you were to somehow be magically transported back to the day you left the IDF service, what would you tell young, uh, Omri Asen, younger Omri Asenheim? What piece of advice would you give him? First of all, I would say to him, everything will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. You are on the right path. You just finished an amazing service. Um, you, you earned from this service more than you can imagine. And this these things you earned from the uh, from your service will uh, follow you to the rest of your life so meet them at specific points and make sure you meet them at specific points the other things that I would tell him and this is uh, maybe contradicts what I just said is if you finished your service do me Louim do reserve know, reserve but try to forget it <laughs> try to understand that those moments will not um, You won't, you won't have them again. Um, but there are other excitements that will come throughout mm-hmm. your new way. So it's like a soccer player that retires mm. from playing. He won't have the, you know, he won't be cheered up by 20,000 people at Bloomfield Stadium here in Tel Aviv after scoring a goal. But he will have other things in his life that are, you know, will bring him excitement as long as he lets himself forget, yeah. kind mm. of forget the service. Okay, I think this last sentence explains a lot of what happened in the entire interview <laughs> about your career and going through the yeah. peaks and going through the hard work of getting into these peaks and uh, being able to also be a little bit, uh, not to carry the burden of, yeah. of doing this. Um, Thank you very much. Um, we started uh, from a lecture again around uh, four years ago and since then we met mm. in, uh, in every way almost and I'm very... Um, 
happy for your collaboration and for your support for the organization and uh, your travel with us. Um, I think that you're a very interesting person and you know how to tell uh, the best story in the best way. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm happy to be able to make, make you more accessible to others. And thank you very much for being here to, today. Thank you for having me. It was great fun. Speaking of making him more accessible to others, I think we're going to recruit him to the mentoring program. <laughs> <laughs> If he has a, he needs another boy. That's what you're saying. <laughs> I need one more hour a day. 25, 26 hours a day, then we'll be okay. That's the only thing. Uh, I want to thank the Ariella House Radio Studio in Tel Aviv for hosting us. And uh, thank you, Jonathan. Our podcast will be uploaded to Spotify, Apple Music, and we will advertise it through the AFU 669 marketing channels. Thank you, Omri. Thank you, Thank you Bar. very much. If you want to get our newsletter, the podcast episode, or to get involved, you can join our mailing list or write us through our website at www.afu669.org. Thanks again, everyone. Stay thank well you. and looking forward to our next episode. Bye-bye. Mm, Bye-bye. Thank you.